The Productive Woman, Episode 405. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. This week, we're going to talk about a few common uh, bits of productivity advice that might not work for you and some ideas about how to modify it so it will work. You'll find links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 405. This episode is brought to you by Calm. I don't know about you, but I remember being tucked into bed with my favorite story and dozing off before I even got to my favorite part. Do you remember that from your childhood? Well, with Calm's sleep stories, you can pause your racing thoughts, relax your mind, and enjoy the ease of drifting off to dreamland. I am so glad to be partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to help give you the tools that improve the way you feel. You can reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improve focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. And they have those both for children and for adults, which I think is great. They even offer their new daily movement sessions that are specifically designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. And if you go to calm.com slash TPW, you will get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription. That's the one I have. It's the one I pay for and have for, oh, two or three years now. They add new content every week, so you never get bored with the resources available to you through the Calm app on your smartphone or other device. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, and Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. I've shared before how much I enjoy Calm's sleep stories. They have countless variations of different lengths, different genres, different narrators from all sorts of different countries. Some of the sleep stories are based on classic literature, for example, where others are almost like a a mini tour of a particular geographical location in another part of the world or a cultural event. And I especially enjoy those stories that introduce me to a different culture or a different area of the world. The only problem I have with Calm's sleep stories is that I never get to hear the end of the story. Listening to that story helps quiet my mind, and I drift off to sleep before the narrator ever finishes the story. For listeners of The Productive Woman, Calm is offering that exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash tpw. So if you go to calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash T-P-W, you'll get 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Once again, that's calm.com slash T-P-W. Okay, so there is, as we all know, tons of productivity advice out there. Some of it is good. Some of it, frankly, is questionable. 
whatever the source, it's important for each of us to evaluate any advice, any tips or tools or recommendations that we might hear of or receive in light of our own life and our own priorities. I don't believe anything works for everybody. Our lives and our needs are different and they can actually change over time as we move from one stage of life to another. Things that were helpful to me when, for instance, my kids were young, don't necessarily work for me now at this stage of my life and the career that I have. And so as I thought about this over the last couple of weeks, I thought I'd take a look at some productivity advice that I often hear or read in various sources and consider whether and how it might work for us, including maybe some ideas for modifications or alternate approaches that can make the concept work for us. And so I think I've got seven or eight of these that I thought about and looked at, and I'll just share those with you. I'd love to get your feedback on these as well, though. So the first one that I thought of is the the advice to get up early in the morning. Lots of productivity experts recommend getting an early start on our day. And we often hear the the recommendation of getting up at 5 a.m. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot about this that does make sense. We start the day early to get a jump on our work. Early in my legal career, I personally liked to get to the office very early before most anybody else did because I could get a lot of work done before the phone started ringing or people started, you know, stopping into my office. But that concept of getting up early, you know, 5 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., whatever time, getting up early uh, doesn't necessarily work for everyone. For instance, if you work a late shift uh, or if your sleep gets interrupted by an infant or insomnia or you're just a night owl, meaning you're more alert and energetic later in the day and, you know, there are people like that that work you know, they, they sort of wake up later in the day and can work with great energy and great effectiveness late into the evening. Those people, you know, it might not necessarily work for them to get up at 5 a.m. or 4 or whatever early hour. And I believe getting enough quality sleep is more important to our health, our well-being, and our productivity than having the early morning hours to work. So, while I agree there's great value in the advice to get up early and kind of get a good start to your day, it's just not necessarily going to work for all of us. And so there, the alternative is to be more uh, aware and conscious of our own circadian rhythms and our chronotype, which is kind of a, a word I've heard about but hadn't really looked into very much. According to the the sources that I looked at, our circadian rhythm is, uh, and I'm quoting here, circadian rhythms are physical, mental, and behavioral changes that follow a 24-hour cycle. These natural processes respond primarily to light and dark and affect most living things, including animals, plants, and microbes. Um, And so 
we all have them. We respond to daylight in certain ways, our, our bodies. It, this is at a like a physiological level. And chronotype is basically was described in, in the source that I looked at as, as our sleep type. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, one article that I read about this called Chronotypes, Sleep, and Productivity. And it talks about four basic chronotypes and what they look like, what, you know, how they respond to early morning versus late in the day and that sort of thing, how easy it is for them to get up in the morning when they have the most energy, that sort of thing. It was a really interesting article to read. And it offers suggestions about when you're most going to be most effective in working when you should go to sleep and so on in order to maximize productivity, depending on your chronotype. And so the alternative to saying that we should all be getting up early in the morning, I think is for each of us to be aware of her own circadian rhythms, her own chronotype, and to the extent we can adjust our schedule accordingly. Obviously, if we have a job that requires us to be up in the morning, we got to get up in the morning, right? But to the extent we have any control over it, adjust our sleep schedule and our work schedule and so on according to what fits best for our chronotype. The second bit of advice uh, that might or might not work for us is kind of tied to this. We often hear, and I've talked about on this podcast more than once, about the value of establishing a meaningful morning routine of, you know, meditation, journaling, exercise, a healthy breakfast, etc. And I believe that that is a great idea. It's it's a an excellent idea to start our day as um, Amy Landino, who was our guest on episode 276, uh, describes in uh, her book, Good Morning, Good Life, uh, to start our day on your own terms. That is easing into the workday in a quiet and, and nourishing way that nurtures our spirit, our soul, and our body is a wonderful thing, a, a good idea that can contribute in a very significant way to our meaningfully productive life. Nevertheless, it might not work for everyone for some of the same reasons as rising early in the morning might not work. If, for example, you have small kids in the house who are early risers, no matter how early you get up, uh, they are, are greeting you at the door or climbing on your bed before before you can even you know, wake up. I, I hear lots of moms of young kids talk about this, and I remember that from when my kids were real little. Sometimes you just don't have the opportunity to sort of get up and and do this sort of leisurely morning routine when you've got little kids in the house. Or if your work day or your children's school day starts early, or if you have a long commute and you've got to get on the road, you know, early, there, there simply might not be enough time in the mornings for a leisurely morning routine like so many of the experts write about and talk about. I don't believe that that means your day can't start well. There are things we can do to get the day off to a good start without having an hour to spend 
on this sort of luxurious morning routine. If it works for you, it's great. Just like all of these other things we're talking about. It works for a lot of people, but it might not work for you. And if it doesn't, there are some things you can do. You can do some modifications of the morning routine concept. For instance, incorporate some of the elements of a nurturing morning routine, but on uh, on a more abbreviated basis. So for instance, when the alarm goes off, even before you lift your head off the pillow, just take 30 seconds to stretch and maybe whisper a prayer or an affirmation of thank you for the new day. So, you know, that whole gratitude practice is a valuable thing for our productivity. We've talked about that lots of times in the past. It doesn't have to take, you know, 15 minutes or half an hour. You can just whisper thank you uh, and and start your day with a thought of gratitude. And then maybe while you drink your first cup of coffee, Uh, read a few lines from the Bible or some other spiritual text that's meaningful to you, or from a book of uplifting quotations or poetry, or simply stand with your cup of coffee or tea or whatever you drink in the morning uh, outside if the weather permits or at a window and, and breathe deeply for a moment or two while you're looking at the sky or the trees or whatever's outside your home just practicing being very present in that moment. Uh, Another way that you can incorporate some of an element of a, a good morning routine is to simply practice being present and mindful while you shower instead of sort of letting your mind be somewhere else while you go through the routine of, of showering and washing your hair and all that stuff. Actually pay attention to the sensations and and the experience of being there. Be very present in that. Those sorts of things are simple. They don't add really any time to your morning, but allow you to start your day off on a positive and productive note without spending an hour doing this uh, morning routine that, that we'd all like to do, but some of us just can't. Another example would be if you work from home, either at a paid job or your own business or as a homemaker, consider whether you can do your more extended morning routine a little later in the morning after the kids are off to school and before you dive into your own workday. So that would be a modification of the morning routine. It doesn't have to be the first thing you do in the morning in order to add value to your life. As an alternative to a morning routine, all of those activities that are often thought of as components of this ideal morning routine can still add value if they're done at other times of the day. So if, you know, you've got this image or idea in your mind of what would be the ideal morning routine, can you take those pieces and do them at other times? Uh, Journal for a few minutes on your lunch break. Uh, Move your body by taking a walk after dinner. Those sorts of things. Um, You can do them at different times of the day. Uh, Do some spiritual reading or uplifting reading at the end of the day before you go to sleep. Uh, Again, you can bring all of those helpful components of a morning routine into other parts of your day and still get the benefit of them. All right, number three 
that I often hear, and I probably have said more than once, is to do the hardest or most important task first. So whatever's on your list for the day, and do the hardest thing, the thing you're dreading, or the most important thing first. Um, that concept is sort of embodied in the con- in the idea of Eat That Frog, a book that was written. I'll link to that in the show notes. The, the idea that maybe came from Mark Twain of if you eat a frog first thing in the morning, everything else you do that day is going to be uh, going to feel easier or something like that. Uh, and the idea behind this concept of or this advice to do the hardest or most important task first is that by tackling that hardest task at at the beginning of the day when you're fresh, you'll be sure it gets done while you still have the energy and the focus to do it. It won't get put off and procrastinated and you won't continue being distracted all day by that sort of open loop that's hanging over your head, this incomplete task. I think this concept is a very valid approach to those tasks that we keep procrastinating on because they're difficult or or daunting or complex or whatever it is. And most of the time, it's probably a good idea to take this advice that whatever's the toughest thing you need to do in a particular day, whether it's a, a phone call you've been dreading or just a difficult physical or mental task, do it first, get it knocked out you know, off your list and celebrate by going on and doing the rest of the things you need to do. Most of the time, I think that's a good idea, but sometimes it might not work as well. For instance, if it's just one of several things you need to get done in that day, it might end up eating up so much of your time that you don't get the other things done that needed to get done on that day. Or if you're one of those whose energy and focus peak later in the day, for a lot of us, the early, the first morning hours are kind of when we're most energetic and, and able to focus, but that's not true of everybody as we we talked about a, a little bit ago. And if you're one of those whose energy and focus peak later in the day, you might struggle in the morning uh, to complete a task that requires energy and focus if that's not when you're at your best or or during a time when your environment is, is fraught with distractions or just not conducive to attending to that particular frog. So like so many other things, there's not a one size fits all answer to this sort of thing. While it's for most of us, a good idea when you've got a a difficult task, particularly one that you've been procrastinating on for a time, uh, to get that done, to just do it first thing, sort of eat the frog, so to speak, it's not necessarily going to be the best choice all the time for all of us. And so some alternatives might be to Uh, look at your schedule for the day, think about your own energy levels and that sort of thing, and schedule that difficult or important task to be completed during a time of day when you're at your best in terms of energy and ability to focus, when you have sufficient time to get it done, and when your environment is less distracting, when you can make sure you've got the the right environment and and energy to focus on it and get it done. So that's one alternative. Um, By the same token, if that hardest or most important task is intimidating to you for whatever reason, 
it actually might help to start out the, your workday with some of the easier tasks on your list that can be completed more quickly. By doing that, you get a, a confidence boost from accomplishing some of the things that you needed to do, and you start to build momentum that maybe can take you into completing that difficult task. Uh, so those are different ways of approaching those difficult or important tasks that maybe get put off a lot. The other thing is, just as a side note, to remember when you've got some big daunting task that keeps getting pushed off to another day, it might be because it's not a task at all, but a project or a mini project. And Remember to break those big tasks up into the smallest possible components so that you can check the the little pieces off and again, build that momentum to get it done. Uh, The number four on my list anyway, a piece of productivity advice that I hear all the time, and I'm sure you hear it too, and maybe this should be number one because it may be the one I hear (laughs) more than any other, is the advice to check your email only twice a day. And the rationale for that is in part that, as some have said, our email inbox really constitutes other people's to-do list for us instead of us uh, being proactive about setting our priorities for the day. If we look at our email all the time, we're letting other people decide what we're going to be doing. In addition, constantly checking email is a distraction that interferes with our ability to focus on priority work. Every time we get interrupted from a you know, an important task, it takes a period of time to get back into the flow of it. And stopping Every time something dings at you or or an alert flashes on your screen to check your email makes all those important tasks take longer to do. So it is absolutely a good idea, this this advice to check your email only twice a day during your workday, for instance. And it's, it's a good idea for all the reasons I just talked about. And in fact, if possible... Uh, it's recommended to close your email application except during those times that you have scheduled for checking email so that you're not distracted by seeing an alert or a badge showing you that new messages have come in. Again, I think this is a great idea and, and really can contribute to getting more work done if you're, especially if you're the kind of person who's sitting at a desk and working at a computer uh, throughout the day. But for those of us whose business is, in essence, run via email, it might not be possible to check your email only two periods, you know, once in the morning and once in the afternoon or something like that. For example, for me, as a real estate lawyer, I you know, various days will have closings going on, uh, whether my client is the lender who is funding money for the acquisition or of a real estate pro- commercial real estate project or for construction of uh, buildings on that property uh, wh- whatever it may be or i'm representing someone who's buying or selling commercial real estate when i have a closing going on i frankly have to keep a constant eye on email on the closing date and even on the days leading up to it depending on you know where we are in the process 
for communications from the client, from the other party's attorney, and from the title company about the logistics of getting it closed and be ready to deal with issues that come up that can interfere with the closing. I don't have the option to turn off my email for hours at a time. I've got to be checking it pretty regularly. It's one of the biggest frustrations of my legal practice because it does make it very difficult for me to get focused work done, particularly on the day of or right right before a closing. But there are alternatives to only checking your email twice a day. First of all, we certainly should turn off notifications to minimize the distraction when we're working so that nothing's pinging at us, nothing's flashing on our screen. Um, Maybe even turn off the badges so there's nothing, you know, if we go down to open an app, we don't see a, a number on the on our email badge uh, that's telling us we've got new messages coming in. Uh, Just to avoid that extra distraction, turn those off. And for me, instead of only checking email once or twice a day, uh, I can do, and I could suggest to you, do the reverse when I need to be watching email on a day when I can't Uh, ignore email for long periods of time. What I can do is the converse. I can block off maybe an hour or so during the day when I can close my email and focus on other work. So for me, that will come uh, after the closing has been confirmed. And usually that happens mid-afternoon. And so I can just know once that's done, I can block off an hour, whatever time I have left, to to sort of turn off my email and focus on other work for a while. And maybe that will work for you as well if you're not in a position to only check email once or twice a day. Uh, but instead, keep it open as you need to. But is there a time during the day, or either early morning, late afternoon, midday, whenever it works for you, where you can turn it off for a limited period of time to allow yourself to really get deep into the focused work that you need to do. The fifth uh, bit of productivity advice that I hear from various sources uh, is to, you know, throughout your day, keep working until everything on your to-do list is complete. And, you know, it's worded in different ways, but that's the concept behind it. And theoretically, I believe that's good advice. Making a to-do list serves no purpose whatsoever unless we actually take action on the items that we've listed. And it's important that we do that because, in essence, when we write a to-do list and what we put on that list kind of serves as a promise to ourselves that I'm going to do these things. And when we fail to do that, it teaches us, whether consciously or not, not to trust ourselves to keep that promise we made to get certain things done. So if you put something on the list, you should keep working until you get those things done. Uh, that is, as I said, theoretically good advice But it might not work if, for instance, you're too ambitious with your list for the day, or if some tasks take longer than expected, or life just happens and and eats up the time you had set aside on a given day to get the things done that you had listed. And so if if it doesn't work, and if you're trying to follow this advice, if one of these other things have happened, you're going to keep 
working into the night trying to get all this stuff done, and that's not necessarily productive. You kind of get to this point of diminishing returns where you're spending too much time working on trying to get all this stuff done, and you're not uh, you're you're tired, you're exhausted, and you've lost the energy and sort of the will to keep going and to do a good job. So the modification I would say to this concept is to uh, be conscious and realistic about what you put on your list for any given day. Go ahead and keep that comprehensive list of everything that needs to be done, every decision you need to make, every task that needs to be completed, every errand that needs to be run, but and keep that running list. But on a day-to-day basis, make sure you limit your list for any given day to no more than three, maybe up to five tasks, depending on what they are and how much time they take. And do your best as you look at that list for the day to make sure you get the must-dos done before moving on to any of the the ought-to-dos or the would-be-nice-to-dos. And give yourself grace when the day changes or activities take longer than you expected to reach the end of the day and and be okay with whatever progress was made. Even if you don't get it all done, uh, anything you've accomplished is better than nothing, right? And so this is an area where I think we need to all learn to give ourselves a little more grace. We do the best we can, uh, but we can't necessarily cross everything off the list. And it can, in most cases, the things that didn't get accomplished for a good reason, one hopes, can be moved to the next day or a later day in the week. Uh, The sixth bit of productivity advice that we hear about a lot is the application of the Pomodoro technique. And we've talked about that a a few times in the past on this podcast. You've probably heard about it. Traditionally, a Pomodoro is a 25-minute focused work session followed by a five-minute break. And you literally set a timer, you decide what task or tasks you're going to do during the, the fir- you know the first Pomodoro of the day, uh, set a timer, and then work on that one task until the 25-minute the timer goes, uh, dings at you, and then you take you set the timer again for five minutes and take a break and you get up and you walk away from your desk, go get a drink of water, use the restroom, whatever, but actually take a break, let your mind and your body rest for a minute. And then you come back and you do another Pomodoro. And traditionally in the technique, uh, you take a longer break, maybe 15 to 20 minutes after every fourth Pomodoro. This concept is a very good one and it can be very effective because the mind can only focus uh, effectively for a finite period of time and regular breaks when we are working actually are very productive. Our body and our mind need a break from focused work periodically. And so the concept of the Pomodoro technique is very helpful, very useful, and can really contribute uh, to a productive life. Where it might not work 
for you exactly as sort of traditionally taught is the specific time periods. Those might or might not work for you. A 25-minute Pomodoro followed by a five-minute break can probably work pretty well for, say, physical tasks like house cleaning or yard work or administrative tasks that don't take a lot of focus attention. But some types of work actually take a little bit of time to sort of dig into and taking a break or, you know, being interrupted at the 25-minute mark might actually uh, disrupt your momentum. And this, for instance, this would be the case for me when I'm drafting a set of documents for a legal client or when I'm writing fiction or nonfiction. It may take me 15 minutes to sort of get into the flow and if if the alarm goes off at 25 minutes, then I've maybe only gotten 10 minutes of really good, solid work done. And so while the concept works, the the traditional way of sort of measuring it might not work for you as it as it doesn't for me for certain kinds of work. And so the, a modification that could make it work would be to incorporate the concept, but use longer time periods for the Pomodoros perhaps an hour or, you know, 55 minutes followed by a five minute break, Uh, whatever makes sense for your, uh, the work that you're doing and your ability to stay focused. I've heard people talk about being able to, to really work for two, two or three hours on, I know writers that once they get into it, they might get up real quickly and get a drink of water or something, but they'll work for longer periods of time. Once they get into it, they get momentum going and they keep working. So you need to know yourself there as to what would be the sort of optimum time period for your Pomodoros and use the technique accordingly. The seventh uh, bit of productivity advice I've heard from a number of sources over the years is to time yourself doing tasks that you do often so you know how long each takes and you can plan your workday accordingly. Uh, I think this is really useful information to have. If there are certain uh, tasks that you do regularly, I think it's helpful to have a realistic idea of how long it takes. We're not very good at estimating that. And so actually timing yourself doing certain things, whether it's, you know, making your bed or uh, writing a report or whatever the things are that you do frequently to actually time yourself and get a, a true sense, a realistic sense of how long that task takes you. Because sometimes we put off doing something because we think it's going to take longer than it actually does. Like for me, I've learned that I can make my bed in the time it takes for my tea water to to heat up if I work quickly in doing it. So having that information is useful. The problem with basing your workday on how long certain tasks take is what's known as Parkinson's Law that adage that work expands to fill the time available to it, that law means that taking this approach of timing yourself, figuring out how long uh, a, a task takes, and then maybe blocking out that amount of time to do it, is you might actually end up spending far more time than you want to to complete certain tasks. 
And an example that comes to mind for me is cleaning the house. It might take all day. Maybe you've figured out that it takes, you know, half the day uh, on Saturday to, to do all the house cleaning chores that you do for the week, kind of the main things, cleaning the bathrooms, doing the floors, whatever. That's how long it takes if you time yourself. And yet, if you get word that unexpected company will arrive in an hour, you will get the house in pretty good order before they arrive. You, you will get done in an hour what might otherwise have taken you half the day. On the other hand, the other way of looking at this, when time is limited and you believe there's not enough time to do task X, whatever it is, because you've timed yourself and it takes an hour and you only have half an hour before you have to leave, you won't do it. You won't even start it. You could end up neglecting it entirely. That's how we get into sort of procrastination. So basing our decisions about what to do when on how long it takes to do a task to me is kind of the backwards way of doing it. The alternative is for tasks that need to be done, decide how much time you're willing to allocate to each of those. And, you know, say, I've got 45 minutes that I will spend doing this task. You set a timer. When the timer goes off, you stop, whether or not you're technically finished. And then you move on to the next thing. This sort of serves the idea that something is better than nothing, that we get too tied up in trying to do things perfectly. And that's why often if we time ourselves doing something, it takes longer than it might need to otherwise. And so if you do the other approach and you just decide this is how much time I will allow for this task, get as much done as you can in that period of time and then move on, you're going to make some progress even if it's not perfect progress. And so to that point, number eight on the productivity advice that we, we've all heard, I think, is the idea that anything worth doing is worth doing right. And when I wrote that down in my outline, I thought, whatever that means, whatever right means, I absolutely agree that it is important to do good work. And I believe it's important to pursue excellence where it matters. But not everything has to be done perfectly. Uh, We don't have to do A work. You know, if you think in terms of the grades we would get in school, not everything requires a level work. Sometimes B or, or even C work is sufficient. Perfectionism too often leads to procrastination, right? We all know that. And so the modification to this concept is to be thoughtful and intentional, to be thoughtful and intentional about what things you're doing need your 110% best efforts and which things can do with something less than that. In other words, put your best energy and attention towards achieving your best possible product, so to speak, in the things that matter most to you, and give yourself permission to do a a good enough job on those other things that maybe don't matter so much. Progress beats perfection nearly all the time. So if we keep that in mind, I think we will accomplish so much more of the things that matter most to us. So those are eight bits of productivity advice that we've all heard. 
and my thoughts on when they might not work and how we can maybe modify them to work better. The internet and our bookshelves are full of advice on how to be more productive, how to use our time more effectively to accomplish the things we need and want to do. And a lot of that advice is very good, but almost none of it works for everyone. And so I believe wholeheartedly that each of us needs to evaluate the tools, the techniques, and the recommendations we come across in light of our own lives, our own priorities, and our own values. Use what works and be okay with discarding what doesn't. Those are my thoughts on that. I would love to know what you think. What is the best productivity advice you've heard that actually does help you be as productive as you want to be? I would love it if you'd share that with us. We can get ideas from each other and maybe adapt and modify as needed to work in our own lives. You can share your thoughts on that or any questions you might have in the comments section of the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 405 or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. If you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, please feel free to share your thoughts there and get a conversation going uh, that we can all help support and encourage each other with. If you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can do that by emailing your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you. Don't forget that for listeners of The Productive Woman, Calm offers that exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription. Just go to calm.com slash TPW. That's calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash TPW for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. And uh, let me know if you've signed up or if you've tried it out. Let me know what you think. And that, my friends, is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I, I value your participation in this community. It means a lot to me that you're here. It really does. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Matter.